0: obviously devastated so that like rendering video that they showed of the new building Dave sent it to the staff I took the time to uh, to save it and to dub my own soundtrack over it I used kickstart my heart and my version was not selected for the church video (laughs) so it's devastating but I'll carry on see I'll tell you something about me I think that life stories are profound And inspiring, and I think you do too, but maybe you didn't even realize it. The amazing thing about life stories is that when you look at different people, when you hear their stories, when you read about their stories, what you come to realize is that there's this thing that kind of binds us together. It's called being human, you know? And it reminds me that uh, I want to tell you today what an honor and a privilege it is that you would be here today. Whether you're here at church for the first time, first time in a long time, 4,000th time. I'll tell you this about you and me we got a lot in common. In fact, there's more things that should pull us together than should ever tear us apart. And that's why God included so many life stories in the Bible. We've been looking at one over the last few months, uh, a guy named Samuel. And, And scholars will tell you that Samuel was the last judge and the first prophet in the nation of Israel. It's a really interesting transition. We're going to talk about it today and actually talk about how it really, really relates to us this Christmas season. But before we do, we need to kind of get caught up on the life story of Samuel. So Samuel, by and large, was raised by a man named Eli in a town called Shiloh. And and Samuel got a front row seat into watching the disintegration of Eli's family. Eli had two sons. The Bible says they were scoundrels. What they did was they misrepresented God in order to manipulate and abuse people. It got, got so bad that eventually, Eli's two sons and Eli himself all died on the same day. And now all of a sudden this relatively young man Samuel becomes the judge of the nation of Israel. And the people had drifted away from God. It got so bad that actually the Philistines came in. They defeated Israel in battle. Not only did they defeat Israel, but they plundered Israel. And one of the things that they took is they took the Ark of the Covenant, which was a powerful symbol at that time for God's presence to his people. So Samuel calls the nation together. He says, man, we stepped outside of God's protection. So we need a revival. We need to turn back to God. And, and, and the people did, and Samuel led the army and defeated the Philistines and brought back the Ark of the Covenant. And then Samuel did something really powerful. I would say that it's the last significant thing that he did in his role as a judge in the nation of Israel. He set up an Ebenezer stone. An Ebenezer stone. That name might be familiar to you in the context of Ebenezer Scrooge from the Christmas Carol, but Ebenezer actually means With God's help, we got here. With God's help, we got here. I I think you and me, we need to set up an Ebenezer Stone in our life today. We need to tell ourselves, with God's help, I got here. We need to tell our spouse, with God's help, we got here. We need to tell our friends and family, you know, with God's help, we got here. Months ago, after Maddie had completed her cancer treatment, the doctors did a bunch of scans and a bunch of tests, and the prognosis came back cancer-free cancer free and I remember a whole bunch of us met at our house and we walked down to the river and and each of us picked up an Ebenezer stone and we each had a sharpie and we wrote on our Ebenezer stone the things that God had taught us and shown us during Maddie's battle with cancer and I wrote a bunch of stuff on my stone but here's one of the things I wrote I wrote down these are the three most important prayers help me, help me help me, thank you thank you thank you wow 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 see the help me prayer is so important because it's a prayer of humility you know to turn to god and say god there's mountains in my life that i can't move on my own there's battles in my life that i can't fight on my own there's struggles in my life that i can't overcome on my own i need your help god but the thank you prayer is equally as important to take some time afterwards and go whoa wait a minute (laughs) oh There was mountains in my life that I couldn't move, but you moved them. There was battles in my life that you couldn't fight, but that I couldn't fight, but you fought them, God. And there were struggles in my life that I I couldn't overcome, but with your help, I overcame them. And then a wow prayer. You know what that is? Wide-eyed wonder. To take a time out in your life, and to step back and say, whoa, with God's help, we got here. I actually think the world would be a lot better off if more people could live with a little bit more wide-eyed wonder. So that brings us to 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting at verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his secondborn was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba, but his sons did not follow his ways, they turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Sound familiar? Hmm. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old and your sons don't follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his right. So this is it. It's the end of the judges. To give you a little bit of a simple explanation of what that means, um, a judge in the nation of Israel Uh, What that symbolized was that all the political power, all the military power, and all the spiritual power in the nation was gathered together in one person, God's representative, the judge. Okay, so all the political power, all the military power, and, and all the spiritual power was gathered together in one person, God's representative, the judge. And in this moment, the people said, we're done. Give us a king. And so now Samuel becomes the first prophet. So the king now will have the military and the political power and the prophet will have the spiritual authority. The people rejected God's rule. And here's the question. Can you see why? Think about it. They had just watched Eli's sons misrepresent God so they could manipulate and abuse people and they're watching Samuel's sons do the same thing. And so they come to Samuel and they say, you know what? We'll take a king. Because if that's what God's representatives look like, we'll take a king like all the other nations. Now I mention that to you because tis the season. There's something about Christmas. Skill testing question for you. What do you think the most highly attended Southside service of 2019 is going to be? Anybody? Christmas. Christmas. In fact, I've been praying that for the first time in the history of Southside Church that we would see 3,000 people at a Christmas service. So, 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 so let's pray for 3K. Let's, I thought of that. That's a rhyme, right? Pray pray for 3K. That's good, right? Okay, but we should. And you say, well, you talk about numbers a lot. Oh, man, I sure do. I sure do talk about numbers. And, and, and I love it because every single number has a name and every single name has a story and every single story really, really, really matters to God. And I want to ask you to be thinking right now, about who you can invite and who you can bring to this year's Christmas services. Because there's something about Christmas, you know, people who would normally never accept an invitation to church, they might just accept one at Christmas. I wonder why. So I think a superficial, obvious answer is tradition. But tradition is a what, it's not a why. Tradition is a superficial what, I'm looking for a why, so I need to go deeper. So, what is it about Christmas time that people who won't normally accept an invitation to church might just come to church at Christmas? What's the why behind the what? Here's the why redemption. Redemption. Every single person you know or have ever met, every single person who has ever set foot on this planet, deep down inside of them, they cry for redemption. I don't know whether you walked into church for the first time or the 4,000th time. I know this about you, and I know this about me. Deep down inside, we cry for redemption. Like the old will be made new. The lost will be made found. Ashes will be made beauty. Darkness will be made light. Death will be made life. Redemption. At the core of every single person who has ever set foot on this planet, there's a cry for redemption. Redemption. It's amazing, too, because out of all the cultures in all of human history, it's our culture that I think cries the most desperate cry for redemption. Feels most profoundly the need for redemption. And and the story of Christmas is redemption. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son for redemption. Redemption. Our culture feels it most profoundly. I think it's because, um, relatively speaking, we've tried everything else. We, li- we live in a culture that has more, o- more opportunities for pleasure than any other culture, more prosperity than any other culture, more privilege than any other culture, more self-care than any other culture, more medication than every other culture. And what's amazing and mind blowing about it is that we, we, we're, we're a culture filled with people who say, Man, I've tried medication. I've tried privilege. I've tried prosperity. It should be working. I've tried so much self care, and yet deep down inside of me, there are mountains that I still can't move. There are battles that I still can't fight. There, there, there are obstacles that I still cannot overcome. What's going on? It's a cry for redemption. For help and Jesus is redemption so here's what's insane listen to this we live in a culture that is more hungry for redemption than any other culture in all of human history and we have the answer the church has the answer and yet a vast majority of North American churches are in decline How in the world is that possible? It doesn't make any sense. The only thing I can think of is this. The same thing that happened in Israel 3,000 years ago has been happening in our culture. The people who are supposed to be representing God are doing a really bad job. Like we live in a culture that over the years, the people who say that they're followers of Jesus often look nothing like him. The story of Jesus never gets old. The story of the gospel never ne- never loses its power. But sometimes the people who follow Jesus look nothing like him. Read this story the other day. Arthur F. Burns was the former chairman of the United States Federal Reserve System and ambassador to West Germany during the Cold War. He was a man of considerable influence. Medium in height, distinguished with wavy silver hair and the signature pipe. He was economic counselor to a number of presidents from Dwight Eisenhower to Ronald Reagan. His opinions carried weight and Washington listened. Arthur Burns was also Jewish. So when he began attending an informational White House group for prayer and Christian fellowship in the 1970s, it was a big deal. <laughs> but no one really knew how to involve him. He was Jewish. And this was a Bible study in prayer time. So every week when different people would take turns uh, ending the meeting in prayer, Burns was never selected. Like he was Jewish, right? He wouldn't want to pray to end a Christian gathering. But one week, the group was led by a newcomer. And he didn't know Arthur Burns. As the meeting ended, the newcomer turned to Burns and he asked him to close their time with prayer. Some of the old-timers glanced at each other in surprise and wondered, what's going to happen? But without missing a beat, Burns reached out, held hands with others in the circle and prayed this prayer. Lord, I pray that you would bring Jews to know Jesus. Christ, I pray that you would bring Muslims to know Jesus Christ. And finally, Lord, I pray that you would bring Christians to know Jesus Christ. Amen. Gandhi said it this way. I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Like what in the world is going on? We, li- we live in a culture more desperate for redemption than any culture in human history, and yet the church is in decline. What is going on? It's not that the message of Jesus has gone out of style. It's that the people who follow Jesus don't look enough like him. Paul looked ahead at days like this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said this, but mark this there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen to this. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. Redemption. Redemption. Redemption is the greatest power in the universe. (laughs) Redemption is a great, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history to reconcile you with your heavenly Father. You know your heavenly Father, the rider of the ancient skies. The one who spoke the very universe into existence and loves you absolutely and completely. That's powerful. That Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross. That your sins could be forgiven that your past could be passed, that your eternity could be secure. That's powerful. And Jesus Christ, the same Jesus who, who, who died on the cross, stepped out of the empty tomb, and the Holy Spirit resurrected power that raised Jesus is alive and well and working in you, changing you from the inside out. So what's going on? We live in a culture desperate for redemption. Why aren't people seeing it in us? It's like if I show up five minutes late to preach today. You know, Dave comes up and does his good announcement, shows the lame video with a bad soundtrack, and then uh, says, you know, right after the lights come on, Mike's gonna be up here and he's gonna be preaching. The lights come on, but I don't show up. I've often been tempted to do that, by the way, just to see how the staff handles crisis. Oh, okay, <clears throat> so I show up five minutes late, and let's say you're in a really patient mood, and you stick around, and I come up and I go, Dude, "So sorry," great reason though. You know, I was jogging in between service, as I do. You know, I'm very fit that way. No, that's an illustration. Okay, so let's just say I was jogging between services, and I'm jogging across Stevenson. A uh, gravel truck comes out of nowhere, runs me over. He must have been doing like 80, 90 clicks. So it took me about five minutes to get myself together and and be up here. And so let's imagine I'm standing up here telling you that story about my encounter with that gravel truck and I look just like this. You would think one of two things. Number one, Mike is a liar. Or number two, think about this. That gravel truck that hit him must be really, really, really small. So where does that leave us? Because that's really the question. It's, it's easy to talk in theory about, oh, the church is in a decline and, and we're not, you know, we're growing and we're moving into a home and that's exciting, but where does that leave you? Where where does that leave me? Because, because for me, I want to live a life that reflects and illustrates the redemptive power of the greatest story forever told, the story of redemption. I want that to play out in my life. Jesus said, uh, people will know that you are a follower of mine. People will know you are a Christian by your love. Love. And it's weird because You've been going to church for a long time and you've never really fully understood that verse see i think i think for you and for me we've often read that verse and we look at it and we go oh like people will know we're a christian because we're very loving we're very nice you know we're, we're, we're loving people and that's the evidence of our relationship with jesus christ yes that's true and also it is the key by which you will unlock god's power in your life they will know you are a christian by your love. It is a gateway to enter into God's redemptive power. It is the evidence, but it's also the opening. I want to live a powerful life. And the key is love. The key to unlock God's power in your life is love. So let's talk about that. First, number one, you must receive God's love. And I I got three steps here. But I'm telling you, if you don't get this step, don't bother. Step two and step three won't work, won't make any sense. So number one, you gotta receive God's love. What do I mean by that? I mean, you need to reject performance-based acceptance. You need to repent of it. And you need to embrace extravagant love. You know what the word extravagant means? Undeserved. We, we need to come back to this over and over and over and over again. The love of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, cannot be achieved. It is received. It cannot be earned. It is extravagant. Like when, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, give me your shame and your sin and your regret and your wrong. And in exchange, I will give you forgiveness and freedom and eternal life. Why? Because you're so good? No, because he is. Because of what you do? No, because what he's done. We need to come back to this today. It's so important. It's the key to unlock everything. That when Jesus Christ stepped out of that tomb, and he invited you to follow him, follow him out of darkness into light, out of death and into life, he gave you that invitation not because you're innately more lovable than anybody else, but because he, his love is immeasurable. We've got to repent of performance-based acceptance. And you know what we should do tomorrow? We should repent of performance-based acceptance. You know what we should do Tuesday? we should repent of performance-based acceptance. Wednesday would be a good day to repent of performance-based, because there's a gravitational pull inside of you and inside of me that wants to revert to performance-based acceptance, because there's something in me. Man, I want to believe that, uh, uh, that, that, that I'm just a little bit more lovable than you. We're all equal, you know, but some are more equal than others. And God chose me for his team. And the problem with performance-based acceptance, sometimes the longer that you go to church, the worse it gets. So we sit in these four walls. Y- yes, you should come to church. And yes, you should invite your friends. There's room, invite them, let's go, okay? <clears throat> but what can happen over, over time is we, we're, we're, we're kind of inside our four walls, you get it? And, 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 and we're in here and we go, this is, this is, this is us. And who's out there? and there's something about us you know we're we're just we're lovable there's something we don't drink and we don't chew and we don't go with girls that do like there's just something about us we're never gets old does it um but there's just there's just something about us you know what can happen to you you go to church for too long you start to think that jesus died to make good people better you know when I didn't think that? I did not think that in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta. Years ago, when I was at rock bottom, and I knew that there was an innately nothing about me worth saving, but Jesus wanted to anyways. Over and over again, you want to live a powerful life? You need to repent of performance-based acceptance every day. Like, Jesus didn't die to make good people better. He didn't even die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people live. That's it. So there is no us and them. There's just us and us. It's not about what you do. It's not about what I do. It's about what he's already done. And over and over again, we need to repent of performance-based acceptance, and we need to take hold of extravagant love because the problem is man if we if we start to live this performance based acceptance game then innately subconsciously people won't think people from out there people you know people who have never walked into church before they'll they'll start to think that this isn't the kind of place that they should be because they're not a good person and we and we're all just dead people who need Jesus to make us live. That's it. You know what else can happen? Is when you kind of fall into this performance-based acceptance trap, you start to think that you've earned it or you need to earn it. But somewhere deep down at the core of who you are, you know you can't earn it. You know that you can't earn it. So all of a sudden, you start to be real angry at yourself. So here, here, here's, a, here's a little thought for you. Who's the angriest person you know? Don't answer out loud and don't look at the person beside you just in case it's them. Okay? Um, You know who they're most angry with? Themselves. You know what happens with people who who dwell in, who sit in performance-based acceptance? They always end up being very, very angry with themselves. Who's the most hateful person you know? You know who they hate the most? Themselves. Who's the most judgmental person you know? You know who they judge the harshest? Themselves. You want to live a powerless life? Easy. Just run towards performance-based acceptance. You want to live a powerful life? Reject it. Repent of it. Every day. Today. You need to again. And embrace extravagant love. Undeserved love of God demonstrated by Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. That's step one. And again, let me tell you, if you don't get step one, if you don't go back to it, circle back to it, circle back to it. Don't even bother with step two. But if you begin to slowly get this step one down, you move to step two. So first you receive God's love. You reject performance-based acceptance. You embrace extravagant love. Number two, you return God's love. You reject self-pity. And embrace wide-eyed wonder. your life becomes the Ebenezer stone. With God's help, we got here. (laughs) Don't you understand? Like, if you really understand step one, if you really come back to that moment for you when you knew that Jesus' love was completely and totally extravagant, then the next thing you know, you're living wide-eyed wonder. Your life is a worship song. Sing it. Sing it. Sing it with gratitude and passion. Sing it. Man, once you get get the concept of extravagant love, then you live this grateful life. Wide-eyed wonder. Thankful for Jesus and his death and resurrection. Thankful for his Holy Spirit's power working within you. Thankful for your heavenly Father who loves you so much. Thankful for every breath, every sunrise, every sunset, family, friends, food, clothes, whatever. Your life becomes the Ebenezer Stone. With God's help, we got here. Wide-eyed wonder. Wide-eyed wonder at work, at home, in your family, with your friends. changes things. Um, Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 11. Your eye is a lamp, lighting up your whole body. If you live wide-eyed in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. But if you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. Keep your eyes open, your lamp burning so you don't get musty and murky. Don't you love this? Keep your life as well-lighted as your best-lighted room. you got to repent to self-pity. you got to repent to self-pity. you got to reject self-pity, and you got to do it over and over and over again because I'll tell you something. I could stand up here today and I could tell you this. Maybe you've heard me say this before. If you look around the world for something to grumble about, you'll never run out. And if you look around the world for something to be grateful for, you'll never run out. And and maybe when I say that, you go away going, man, that makes sense. Does that make sense? It makes sense, right? Yeah, it makes sense, right? Okay. And you walk away and you go, that makes sense. So I'm going to be grateful. And the next day you, and I say it. I'm standing up here on a stage and I'm saying it. And the next morning I wake up and what happens? Self-pity. You got to repent of it. You got to ask God's help to repent of it, to move beyond it to move past it. There's a gravitational force in your life that's gonna take you towards self-pity. You need to reject it. Living the powerful life you were created to live depends on it, actually. Love is the key to unlock God's power. So number one, you receive his love. You you reject performance-based acceptance. You embrace extravagant love. Number two, you return God's love. Hey, your life is a worship song, sing it. Sing it. Reject self-pity. Embrace wide-eyed wonder. And finally, you reflect it. If you don't have step one, step two, step three ain't going to make any sense. But, 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 but let's imagine that you come to this place, that we've come to this place, that I've come to this place where we say, man, I, I reject performance-based acceptance. I embrace your extravagant love, Jesus. And that, and that leads me to step two where I reject self-pity and I take hold of this wide-eyed wonder, thank you, thank you, thank you, wow, you know? Well, then I'll get to step three, which is I reflect his love. In other words, I reject stagnation, I embrace double blessing. There's about six times in the Bible where it talks about double blessing. You'll be familiar with the concept even if you aren't familiar with the term. Here it is. You are blessed to be a blessing. So when God blesses you, you are blessed. And then when you take that blessing and you're a blessing to others, you are doubly blessed. You reject stagnation. What's stagnation? Stagnation. <clears throat> I take and I take and I take and I take and I get and I get and I get and I get and I take and I take and I take and I take and there's all inflow and no outflow. That's stagnation. That's a powerless life. Now, again, let me say this. If you, have, if you don't have step one and step two down, step three is irrelevant. But, but let's imagine that you've embraced the extravagant love of God and wide-eyed wonder. Well, the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to want to reflect his love. As you have been blessed, you will bless double blessing. As he has given to you, you give to others. Double blessing. As God has helped you, man, you help others. Double blessing. So yesterday we did this all is bright thing. Just awesome. And since this is the last service, I got about an hour and 55 minutes of stories. So let's just start right now. I, I, but I can tell you one. I can tell you one. One of our initiatives is called Love Them Both. And what it is is like we, we prepare these deluxe, amazing hampers for, for mothers in, in great need and their babies. And so the love them both team showed up at the hospital yesterday. And when they did, um, <clears throat> So the, the nurses stood up right away when they walked in because I don't know what these nurses are, how, wh- where they are with God or church or anything, but they stood up and they said, man, I can't believe you're here. Because there's a young mom who just gave birth and, and she has nothing. And this is, this is going to change her whole perspective. And I just think to myself, you get it, right? Like, sh- she matters. You know what I mean? Like, she really, 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 really matters. And so when... God has helped us and we extend his help it, it's a double blessing so what, what, I, what I'm not talking about is a warm fuzzy feeling going well that felt kind of good like I was on the uh, Fueled Up team yesterday we were washing all these cars and someone rinsed me they thought I was a car and they rinsed me and I was soaking wet and so I'm not talking about I walked away going man I was an icicle for Jesus today it was like minus 100 and I was soaking wet and now I'm frozen it's just a warm fuzzy feeling no no here I'm, I'm talking about a spiritual concept what I'm talking about is you will be blessed blessed power blessing that's what i'm talking about it like step three makes no sense if you haven't walked through step one and two though but if you get step one and two then all of a sudden you realize man are you kidding me why would i live this way as god has been generous to me i am blessed and then when I extend that generosity to the city, I am doubly blessed. I've been thinking about what Dave said about hope and, 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 and help. We've spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars this year just to try to bring some help and bring some hope to this city. But I've been thinking about the concept of home. You know we're building a home for this church, right? There was a lame soundtrack and a video that they played a couple minutes ago. I'm not bitter at all about it, but... <clears throat> But I've been thinking, I was thinking in between the third and fourth service because I haven't shared this with the other services. You know, what, you know what's cool about home? Is when, when some places you're home, you walk in and you find you're a little different at home than you are anywhere else. You're just you, you know? Quirky you. Crazy you. And sometimes the people in your family, they look at you and they say, Man, if your friends could see you at home. That's what South Side's going to be. People are going to walk in and they're going to know I'm home. And they're just going to be able to be real. And know that God's love is extravagant. You don't have to achieve it anyways. So Dave said we're doing this year-end offering. You should give to it. You, you should live in wide-eyed wonder. You should live a doubly blessed life. You should give to it. But Remember, though, it would make no sense to you if you haven't gone through step one and step two. But let's just say that you have. Because maybe I'm standing up here and you think to yourself, oh, the church just needs my money. No, we actually don't need your money. We'll be fine. You just need to be doubly blessed. But but let's imagine that you've gone through step one and step two because you might be tempted to go. Well, my money is my money. You know, I I I I, I worked for my money. I, I I I I got creativity in my brain and I took some chances and I made some money. But but if you've gone through step one and step two, what do you realize? These hands. Who gave them to you? These arms that work. Who who gave you those? This heart that pumps. Who gave you that? These legs that walk, who gave you that? This this culture you were born into? Who gave you that? This mind that creates, who gives that? All blessings, right? From who? From God, so we're blessed. And then when we extend that generosity, we are doubly blessed. Am I talking about a warm, fuzzy feeling? Oh no, 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 no. I'm talking about blessed. So we're going to take communion in a couple minutes and for those of you who aren't really overly familiar with communion, um, what it is is there's going to be stations set up around the gym and at every station (coughs) there is a basket where there's uh, crackers and there's grape juice. And all we're doing is we're just obeying a command of Jesus. Jesus said "On on a regular basis, just remember what I did for you on the cross. And so we take the cracker, we remember that Jesus' body was broken and we and we drink the juice and we remember that jesus blood was spilt for us not because we achieved it not because we're good but because he's so good and so what i ask you is i want to ask you to go through these three steps as we take communion number one can you please receive god's love now there's no pressure if if, if you're just checking out church and you're ho- checking out the whole jesus thing and and you're a comfortable taking communion that is absolutely fine but i do believe that for some of you You've been feeling a little bit, you've been feeling God's hope inside of you because you, l- lately you've been coming to this conclusion that there are mountains in your life that you can't move on your own, that there's battles in your life that you can't fight on your own, that there's uh, struggles that you can't overcome on your own and you realize that Jesus came and he loves you and he wants to, and he wants to walk with you today, tomorrow and forever. So if that's you, you you're going to go take communion for the first time. So just go to the person at the station, they're a leader from our church and just say, man, I want to take communion for the first time. But I want to talk to you, you also, if you're taking communion for the 5,000th time. Can you receive God's love today? Can you repent of performance-based acceptance today? And embrace the extravagant love of God through Jesus. Don't ever lose that. Come back to it over and over and over again. And then can, can you spend some time returning God's love just worship him with God's help we got here that Jesus stepped into human history for you died for you rose again for you don't ever lose that wide I'd wonder don't ever lose that spend some time repenting of self pity and finally uh, reflect God's love For some of you, you know what you should do during communion? You should text GIVE to 604-670-3040. Be doubly blessed. But one more thing. As God has invited you to eternal life, to his family, to salvation, why don't you start to think of others that you could invite? Maybe specifically to Christmas this year, you know? So you got a package on your chair with a bunch of stuff in it couple of Christmas invites. I'm going to need a lot more than two. Because I've invited a lot of people in my life. There's about 25 people that I can think of off the top of my head right now who I've invited continually and they haven't come. Now there's others I've invited who have come, but there's quite a few who have never come. And you know what I've decided? I'm not giving up on them. God never gave up on me. So there's an invitation, uh, a card. You can write a card to somebody give them a present and uh, and invite them to uh, the Christmas services. Says is and Bright, just in case you wanted to know. And then there's this thing. It's fancy. I don't really understand it. Uh, you put your phone over it, you know, and it, it gives you a gift or a, a thought or an encouragement for that day or a reminder maybe to invite someone to, uh, to Christmas. Pretty cool if you ask me. And you can't skip ahead either. December 1st, like if you try to skip to December 3rd, won't work, right? All right. <clears throat> and finally, just this, just an old-fashioned card. And what I would ask you to do is, is this. There's people in your life who, who really matter, you know? They really matter. They're dying for redemption. I just wonder if during communion today you could ask God to show you a person or a couple people that maybe you need to be inviting out to Christmas services and then take this card and put it someplace where you're going to see it and just pray for them. Redemption, it's the most powerful force in the universe. How do we unlock it? Easy, receive his love. Repent of performance-based acceptance. Embrace extravagant love. We return his love. We reject, we repent of self-pity. We take hold of wide-eyed wonder. And finally, we reflect it. We reject stagnation. We embrace double blessing. Why don't you stand as a band, please? Hey, thanks so much for watching today! Why don't you come join us at any of our four Sunday services? We meet at Sardis Secondary School in Chilliwack, British Columbia. And for more info, you can visit southsidelife.com.